Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Divided Films, the podcast where audiences and critics disagree about movies. We discuss those movies and we pick a side. With me, as always, is my co-host, Keith. Hello. And there he goes. And (laughs) with us today, joining us back on the podcast, is our great friend, Bobby. Welcome back to the podcast, Bobby. Thank you both for having me. I was looking forward to this all morning. It's a beautiful spring morning to sit inside and podcast. So let's. let's, let's <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get like um, we'll record outdoors in a park or something this summer and see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> Class will be outside today. Um, so uh, today, very excited to talk about today's movie, the 1996 family film Space Jam. Oh yeah. Uh, starring Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. Wait a second. Uh, this movie uh, falls into the category of having a negative score from critics and a mixed to positive score from audiences. On Rotten Tomatoes, 43% of critics approve, 63% of audiences approve, so 20% difference there. And the critics' consensus, while it's no slam dunk... Space Jam's silly, Looney Tunes-laden slapstick and vivid imagination... Oh, sorry. I read that wrong. Vivid animation will leave younger viewers satisfied, though accompanying adults may be more annoyed than entertained. So, uh, there you have it. Uh, Critics... I'm not surprised critics are not as crazy about Space Jam as audiences are... Uh, I don't know about you guys. I did watch this movie a lot when I was a kid, like a little kid. Like, oh yeah, this was 1996, and like a lot. Yeah, yeah, like 1996. <laughs> this movie comes out, and my family had it on VHS. So I think between the ages of like five and eight, I would watch this a lot. It was part of my family's like VHS rotation. You know, like you know, we'd watch all the Disney classics and some other non-Disney stuff. But then this was in there for a while. But I think by the time I was nine or ten, I had outgrown it. Uh, but what about you guys? You grew up with Space Jam, and when was the last time you think you had seen it? Yeah, Keith, when was the last time you walked with Space Jam? Uh, I jam- Last time I... Jeez. Last, last time, time you jammed. jammed last time you jammed with Space Jam. Uh, God. I think I did put it away into, like, a childhood, like, cupboard for... Like, I, I think when I sold the VHS at a yard sale, <laughs> like, I think I... I And I don't think it... Shows on TV that much, so, mm-hmm. but I think memes and 90s kids have kept it alive that I'm like, yeah, I know this movie. I've seen it a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, Space Jam definitely benefits from the nostalgia factor, which we'll get into, uh, but what about you, Bobby? Was this a childhood favorite of yours, and when do you think you saw it last? So I purposely didn't read anything about Space Jam before watching it again. I got a freak DVD copy from the library. Jealous, I would be. I wasn't giving Amazon $4. Did you get a weird look from the library? Like, <laughs> it, I did because it came with Friday the 13th. So it was, it was going to be a, a, a big night for me. Um, but I, I purposely didn't read anything about Space Jam because I wanted to go in as fresh as possible. I haven't seen this movie all the way through in probably 20 years. So yeah. It was a big movie in my house because we were five-ish when it came out. My brother was two, and 
for about two years afterwards, it was my brother's favorite movie. It probably played once a week in my house from like 1996 to 1998. So I I didn't realize watching again, I knew some of the lines. Like I was writing notes and like mouthing along with the lines because they were just lodged somewhere in my brain. And that was an interesting experience. (laughs) Yeah, it was like all like flashing back to you. Yeah, uh, I caught this movie actually on TV like four or five years ago. I think randomly on, I don't know, some cable channel. And I was like, oh my God, this movie is insane. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Until I saw it. So going into the rewatch recently for this podcast, I kind of already figured what I was in for. But it is like the most jarring example of, oh, I love this movie as a kid. And then you revisit it, and it's like, this is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Just because even, like, okay, it's been a while since we did an episode where I kind of tried to sum up, like, the logline premise, but it's, like, impossible to do it for this movie because just the very idea of this movie is just Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes and, like, take it from there. Right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, that, and that's, that's it. And, and that's how they pitched it. That's how they pitched <laughs> right? it. But the whole conceit of how you get that to happen is this really nutty roundabout way. Like there are so many things that have to happen in their minds to get Bugs and Michael Jordan to meet up. And I'm like watching this, like you couldn't think of anything else. This is how you thought that it would, this is what it would take in your minds for Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny to meet up. And, like, the whole plot of, you know, uh, an alien animated failing amusement park that needs new attractions, and so they want to kidnap the Looney Tunes? Like, We've seen it before, JJ. I mean, come on. This this alien tale, amusement park idea is, is, is rote by the time. Is, tale is old this time. Tale is old this time. Oh, my God. Um... Well, it's funny that it comes out that at the same same ish time as Roger Rabbit, and you have no at least I don't have any trouble buying the premise of Roger Rabbit, which is like a noir with with cartoon characters. And this one, they have to work so hard to be like, why would Michael Jordan play for a cartoon basketball? Team? Yeah, it's like Roger Rabbit is so seamless and and, and like just like with this world of cartoon and live action mixing. And this, you're right, it's so labored the way they have to plot this movie. And like, do all these things uh, to get you like to finally get the two main characters to to meet each other. And pro- well, the history of this movie mm-hmm. is like it, this movie didn't just like happen out of thin air. I was in the early '90s. They did come out with very popular commercials right. with Michael Jordan, and Bugs Bunny, and they were very popular. Like people were marching in the streets for like we want more Bugs and we love Michael. And Ivan Reitman, of all people, like kind of pitched, like, why don't we make a movie about this? And I... That's right. He's the producer, you know, if, right? He, 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 and oh. there's heavy Ivan Reitman vibes in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least, like, at least that how I feel. But they kind of Ted Lassoed it. They're like, we have to make... This is a very popular commercial series. Uh, how do we make a movie out of this? And then they're like... Uh, how would you make a? How would you guys make a Bugs you know, Bunny and Michael Jordan movie? That's that's a really good question, but <laughs> it would maybe be something a little less complicated and convoluted than this. And one of the biggest problems about having such like a complicated plot that they have to overly establish is that they give a ton of screen time to these new alien cartoon characters 
they get more screen time than the, some of the Looney Tunes do. Did you notice that? These little, like, yeah. alien dudes, and then they turn to the Monstars, they're on screen, and they get more lines than almost all the Looney Tunes do, with the exception of, like, Bugs and Daffy. And uh, I thought that was, like, really annoying because they were, like, the worst part of the movie. And yet, like, they are constantly on screen. I couldn't take these characters. I was happy. I was surprised by the amount of screen time and welcome screen time of the basketball players who, whose powers that they've stolen from. I like that. They them. were having fun. They made me laugh. It didn't. You could have taken those out of the movie and like I, nothing would have changed. But I, I – like Charles Barkley made me laugh. That sort of bugsy. That was surprising to me too because I, I went in – thinking my, my bias was going to be, okay, Michael Jordan's not going to pull his weight, and these basketball players who are just bas- – they're just real basketball players wouldn't be able to function on camera, but they're very fun. And and I was even looking up to JJ's point, some of the voice actors, like Billy West is in this. He plays a couple of the, the Toon Squad characters, but I didn't recognize any of the Monstar people. Not to say that they didn't do a good enough job, but you're right. There's a lot of time given to these new cartoon characters that the audience not only has no familiarity with, but are the villains for 90% of them. They're, they're like the villains, but they're also just like not funny. Like we, like I want to get more of like Elmer and Yosemite and like Sylvester and like all those other great classic characters. And I get that Bugs is like the main face of the Looney Tunes. He's everyone's favorite and he's going to get the most screen time. Fine. But, like, I don't think, like, for example, Elmer Fudd gets more than, like, two lines in this whole movie. And yet, like, you get, like, a whole arc with these, like, stupid little alien creatures that no one cares about. But you learn to care about them, JJ. That's the the point of the film. I didn't at all. (laughs) I forgot about the Pulp Fiction reference. I mean, I Mm -hmm. I think everyone. So random. I'm surprised they found time for even, like the smaller characters like I, well, I and and jj you and i bonded over our love and knowledge of looney tunes you especially mm-hmm. like you you know them by error yeah uh but like the two mice like the two mice announcers yeah like they like they kind of got like they had those their moment foghorn leghorn had their moment like it well even too what i kind of got a kick out of uh was in the you know the basketball game which is like the last what like 30 minutes of the movie it's a Uh, long um climax too that's like like a half of the movie is the final the final game they're playing yeah well like mercifully so because like you know it's a short movie and it's like for adults like kind of torture if especially like from the fact that this movie is very pandering to little kids most of the time but if you watch the basketball game if you look in the background like a lot of the like secondary and tertiary looney tune characters are in like the stands mm-hmm. and i kind of like yeah. that i guess like for example i remember catching at one point um the mugsy and bugsy you know like gangster guys you know like oh so like they're hiding in the stove eh like remember that whole yeah. bit you know like mugsy and bugsy you might wrap the lion might. like how many sugar lumps do you want um one or two. Oh yeah that character <laughs> yeah like they had a bunch of like the the one-off or like you know maybe some of these characters or villains have appeared like a few times in the classic short just in the background and so i thought that was like maybe a, a nice way of like recognizing like the the large like cast of characters that are in looney tunes because again like you're going to devote most of your time anyway to bugs and daffy like the, the stars of, of the franchise um but uh you know with the basketball players I was surprised how much I was enjoying their sequences. In fact, 
I like the, in the the first act of the movie, I was like actually really enjoying all the live action stuff with like Michael Jordan, almost to the point where I'm like, why don't they just do? They should have just done a movie with just like Michael Jordan's life after basketball. It seems like there was some actual like nice family movie being made, and then the Looney Tunes kind of hijack it, and you get this sort of much more insane plot. Right, because it's like, oh, Michael Jordan after he retired, and everyone kisses his ass, and he feels uncomfortable about it, and in his neighborhood, people like are always saying like, you know, like waving at him, and he like has this sort of like unwanted, um, you know, pampered life, and I thought that was kind of interesting. But then like he gets like sucked down a golf hole, and now he has to like be in this like green screen world of uh, <laughs> Looney Tunes, and the movie like, you know, goes off in a different direction. I really like this alternate version of like a real human drama Space Jam where it's just Michael Jordan's life post learning how to be relevant in a world that's forgotten Michael Jordan or, or, or indeed remembers him too much. I think that there's a movie. In I thought it was nice. They set up like his family and his kids. I'm like, oh, this is all nice. Like maybe, I don't know. Like obviously like the kids are there for like the Looney Tunes. So they don't care about all any of those scenes. But as an adult, I was kind of appreciating like, oh, they're actually kind of establishing this kind of nicely in the live action parts and then you have like a random cartoon spaceship fly by <laughs> like, and no one seems to really like react normally to it what's going on here why michael i thought you'd never ask you see these aliens come from outer space and they want to make us slaves in their theme park eh, what do we care they're little so we challenge them to a basketball game but then they show up and they ain't so little. They're huge! We need to beat these guys, cause they're talking about slavery. They're gonna make us do stand-up comedy. The same jokes every night for all eternity. We're gonna be locked up like wild animals and then trotted out to perform for a bunch of lowbrow, bug-eyed, fat-headed, humor-challenged aliens. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, we need your help! The, the nostalgia is strong with this one for me. Oh, okay. Like, I, I, but I also, I, I, having not seen in a while, and people have analyzed this movie in the year, like, you know, Space Jam is a bad movie. I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to like it. And I, I actually ended up saying this is a pretty, it's not like the best movie, but it's actually, I think the writers who've worked on like Trading Places and they did the Santa Claus, they had a lot, they had a good amount of writers on this. Yeah, I saw I saw four that, I what, that were that were credited. That's a lot of writers yeah. to have on Usually a movie. Usually, a like red this. flag for most yeah. movies. It can be a red flag, but I think, and it's not like the, you know, it's not like the perfect comedy. But there are lines that I think I take issue with. The adults may be more annoyed than entertained because I, I don't know if I. I think an, uh, a dad or mom bringing their kid to this, I think there are lines in this for adults that I know there are lines that went over my head. Yeah. Like Charles Barkley, like, I'll never date Madonna again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, I, what a time. Funny I'll defend some of like the stuff that Bill Murray, like, and Bill Murray clearly was doing it for a favor for Ivan Reitman. He even says so. Mm. Uh, Bill Murray was I, good. I, Bill Murray was good in this one. There were he yeah. he made me laugh pretty consistently. Yeah, yeah. There, were, there were some jokes. There were I, there were moments I laughed. I I, I think I do think this movie does speak to people born in a certain. Because I've asked like older. I was asking older people during this week like, what, "How is your feelings on Space Jam?" Like kids that are only like ten years older than us, and they don't have nostalgia for it. They're like, "Eh." They were too old for it I, when it I'm came gonna, out. I'm going to defend this movie for those kids born, like those '90s kids born during this time, because I think it's it, I think it's 
serviceable. I think it's funny. We were the right age for it, right? Like, we were, like, young, like, little kids at the time. And I think that was, like, um, maybe, like, the demographic, like, kids, like, 5 to 10 years old. And also it helped because this was also the age when, for example, Cartoon Network would play, like, the classic Looney Tunes shorts a lot. Like, on the weekends, you'd have these, like, two to three-hour blocks on Cartoon Network. And they do these, like, Looney Tunes yeah. shuffles. Like, you know, you get, like, all those cartoons being played. And do kids have that now? Do you know? I don't think they play them on TV anymore. I mean, now with HBO Max, you can just go on and watch them. You know, like they have like the, the big library there. But that was like um, like a Saturday morning cartoon sort of thing. Like you go and you just kind of put them on for a while and you don't know which ones they'll play. And that's how I watched Looney Tunes growing up. So like there was already a base that kids or a familiarity kids had with Looney Tunes. So like... Oh, uh, you go into this movie and you recognize all the signature things that the characters are doing, like Tweety Bird, like, oh, I thought I saw, oh, I did, I did, like, all that kind of stuff the characters are known for doing. You already kind of recognize that. But, like, yeah, I think kids now, I don't know if kids now really know the Looney Tunes like we did when we were their age, because they I'd don't be shocked them on TV. To- yeah, I'd be shocked to know. By the way, your Tweety is spot on, just wanted to say. like, <laughs> <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, I do think that this movie injected some like new life into the Looney Tunes. I think but that I was the idea. That was the idea to maybe also are... revitalize the franchise, maybe. And I don't know how well Six Flags is doing now, but I do. <laughs> I, are are uh, are the Looney Tunes and the Muppets? I feel like they're kind of the same. Where they're leg like we treat them as real. They're legacy people who can't really have a show on their. They can't really hold a show now because they don't have the popularity of today's youth. But we treat them as like real, like yeah. Kermit was on The Masked Singer. Bugs can go on a late night show and give an interview. We treat them; as, they're like crooners. They're old crooner legacy characters. Uh, let me tell, but they can't. Let me tell you something about you know that I mean? real quick. A uh, little tidbit here: it is actually like really bizarre, but it is a thing that sometimes a Muppet will go on a late night talk show or a daytime talk show, or you might like, you know, animate Bugs into a late night talk show sequence or something. But what's really strange is, we, and this I I had this experience once um, when I was like uh, working on a on a talk show, and they had R two D two and C three PO there. You have to act like they are real people when you are on set and they're getting these <laughs> characters on. You cannot acknowledge that they are just characters. You and like with C three PO and R two D two, like when we interacted with them, we were not allowed to say, "Oh, we loved your movie" or something, because they'd be like, "What's a movie?" They ha- you had to treat them like they were real people, and no one, no one could see them partly in costume. No one could like, you know, if it was a Muppet, no one could like see the the, the puppeteer or something. You had to like act like they were real people, and this is in an environment full of adults. <laughs> it's like it's not like there's any children around that you don't want to spoil it for. So just a little weird tidbit there. And the Looney Tunes are the same way, where it's like, yeah, they are these larger than life characters, and we all love them, but like they're not real people like calm down <laughs> like these like the people who own the intellectual properties are like very particular about how you handle these characters which i find kind of fascinating but i don't know like i mean the muppets had a very successful movie and then they had a not very they had a whatever sequel and i know the looney tunes kind of had the same thing that movie with brendan fraser i'm just curious are like i know they're making we we know we're making they're making a sequel to this movie coming out this year oh to boy. Space Jam. Are the Looney Tunes, like, do they still, ho- like, we like them and all, but do they have clout for Generation Z? 
I don't know. I, I, I think that people will watch it because they love LeBron James. Like, I think he's enough maybe to get people interested. But as much as people, like, are at least kids are aware of the Looney Tunes, they definitely don't know, like, the shorts and, like, the content as well as previous generations do. So I'm not sure what the appeal is there. I don't know either. And yeah. and I think I could, we could talk for, for a long time about the efficacy of sequels to movies from the 90s that no one asked for. Mm. But specifically <laughs> with Space Jam, <laughs> specifically with Space Jam, it's almost... I, I don't know if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it or not. You know, hopefully movie theaters have gotten back on their feet by that point. I'd love to just go see a movie. But it's almost kind of missed... It kind of comes in waves like they've missed the mark like 90s nostalgia is fun for when we're in like our 20s but now that we're kind of edging past that it's sort of like i don't know if i want to go see space jam 2 because even lebron james at this point is now you know one of the greatest nba players of all time but he's not really the star any longer you know even his time has kind of like you know come and gone as far as a sp professional sports player i mean there was train wreck which i know you you fellas did <laughs> as well so he, he had yeah. kind of the same I mark think as michael the thing. he wants to like get more into show business it seems right because he was in train wreck which i expressed was like a completely pointless role for him in that movie <laughs> and now he's in this and it seems like he it seems to me that he wants to be on the lakers simply because he wants to be in hollywood uh you know i, I don't know that's my theory but um yeah if this is like maybe his vehicle like it's his first starring role in a film like let's see uh I, I i don't know i i wasn't impressed by his acting from what i've seen before i don't know if he can carry a whole movie but then again michael jordan wasn't bad in the original <laughs> space jam i'm sure people questioned his acting abilities it wasn't like the worst. it deserves to be questioned it's not it it's not well, amazing but like it it's like for like for the fact that he was surrounded by green screen for 50 percent of the film i think he like did as best as you could expect which is like true and maybe even maybe like slightly better i don't know where the bar is for a basketball player with no acting experience doing like a total green screen movie but whatever that bar is, I feel like he's a little bit above it. There are a lot of close-ups of his face. I noticed during, yeah, it's like, all edit, action. Like, I can imagine the direction. Like, Michael, like, look to the side and be confused. Now look right at the camera and be like, what the hell's happening? And then we'll just animate and around now that. They shoot, now they shoot the Mandalorian on that set. Uh, it, <laughs> no, I, have, it, have any of you guys read the plot to uh, the new Space Jam? I'm not. I no, me neither. The plot... Like and before you have a reaction when I say like think about the first movie and and its plot. I'll try. It's, uh, uh, Don Cheadle plays an algorithm. He's the villain and he steals. Wait, what does he play? I th like algorithm or something like that's his name. Like a like. Are you saying Al algorithm? You're saying the like President a, Al Gore and Vice President Al Gore is <laughs> no, well. He, no, his name. He's an algorithm, and his name is like a Al. He's rhythm. He's or playing something. an algorithm. Al G rhythm. Al G. How do you yeah, play an algorithm? An al Carefully. J J J J. Once again, remember the plot of the first movie. That's like saying uh, like I'm playing like um I'm playing like a variable. Yeah, like what? <laughs> and. And I, I I know what WB is up to with this. It, like John Cheadle's playing a bad guy, Adam. and he's stealing followers from LeBron James's Instagram. So <laughs> oh James no, what are we gonna go. do? <laughs> Stop Le Le the Le LeBron James goes into 
he goes into the ser- he kind of wreck it Ralph twos it. He goes into the server verse, and what? this is th- this is I think that this is their wreck it Ralph too because they're going like he he comes upon Bugs Bunny. I don't know if they're gonna play basketball in this. I honestly have no idea. Uh, but he uh, he goes into the server verse, and you are gonna probably see Wonder Woman, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. You're gonna see WB laden characters. Oh. And I th- if they all play basketball, I, this is going to be on HBO Max one one day. I sometime See, in the it's summer. It's coming soon. And I did say, I did say that's stupid. And then my brain reminded me, remember the plot of Space Jam? That is all. But this like, is even like more like, convoluted, and even I have even like less um, like interest in, or or what do you call it? investment in this sort of plot. He, the whole plot is. Someone is stealing his Instagram followers. Oh my god, I'm gonna lose sleep over that. <laughs> and it's not called it's not called Spacegram, just for the record, right? Space Even though Graham. he's Instagram. It's called Space Jam to the new Legacy. But they're but they're no longer jamming. This is the jam is the basketball yeah, element. They're not playing basketball. basketball. It's no longer a jam. <laughs> Listen, Space Jam. I guess no. I they might they should play basketball. I have no Space idea. Jam, I guess we blame you, Keith. It could be anything you want, right? But like, I'm pretty sure it should involve basketball at some point, especially if LeBron James is in the movie and it's a sequel to a movie about basketball. Look, I woke up one day a couple <laughs> weeks ago and to people arguing about Lola Bunny, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like, why are people arguing about Lola Listen, Bunny? I hate like. Lola Bunny is – I have like one just – my only weird thing with Lola Bunny is where did this character come from? I just found it kind of funny when I was thinking about it. Like they established that like in this Looney Tunes world, all these Looney Tunes know each other, right? They have meetings and stuff and they all, they interrupt each other's cartoons. They all know each other. But then I just, They're unionized. Right. They mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. They haven't mentioned that. But, I'd love to see that then, movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, the labor struggle of the Looney Tunes. But then um, – <laughs> But then during the tryout sequence, Lola Bunny shows up and she's like, hi, my name's Lola Bunny. And like, no one knows who she is. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how could there be a character no one has met yet when they all seem to like know everyone else? I just thought like that was kind of funny. It seemed to me that they were writing this movie and making this movie and maybe like an executive or a focus group or someone was like, there's no female Looney Tunes. And so like they had to hastily like write in this like female Looney Tunes character who is new to the franchise in this movie. But I just thought that was funny. Like they all know each other except this one new character. No one has seemed to have met before. Like where has she been this whole time? I'm watching this app knowing like people were like sexually charged by Lola Bunny. I'm like, what, what stop? Like people are sexually charged. I don't see anything sexual. Well, with she this. does and like, she sexually. does like tease a couple of the characters at one point when she's like, don't call me dull. And she's like, yeah, but I don't think she's drawn in any, like, I mean, she's drawn like a female rabbit, but I don't think it's like, oh wow. It's not like Jessica rabbit from who's on, right. uh, not from who's on, uh, from who frame where it's like it's supposed to be sexual. I, I watched people, this. I, well, People had sexual awakenings with this fucking thing. I, mean, I honestly don't put anything past anybody, especially in the internet age. So that doesn't really surprise I, me. I'm not here to uh, get down ahead. on anyone's on, on anyone's you know jams as far as their sexuality. <laughs> but, but I watched this with Maddie, uh, uh, and Maddie has no attachment to this emotionally. She never saw it before, hmm. and I I asked it partly because she had heard of the controversy of Lola Bunny, which melted her brain a couple weeks ago, as Keith as it did with Keith, I think too, and. She was watching it for that, and Maddie said, you know, I see what's happening here, but really what makes her 
weird is the music because it's the only time where like a smooth sax comes in and outside of wearing a tank top <laughs> instead of a full jersey maddie was like it's not like it's not she's she said to use her words it's not as bad as i thought i was led to believe it was which oh. I, I have i agree with yeah of yeah. course it was blown out of proportion as the internet tends to do uh every once in a while but um i that was like a weird touch too like the saxophone thing and then also like bugs is like super horny for her right like the second she like steps in the there frame, are some jokes she's like he's like he, he turns she gets like stiff yeah. as a board at one point you know like oh that's he sure does <laughs> if you know what i mean but so so these all these people that were attracted to Lola Bunny just really can't listen to smooth jazz. Is that it? Like, <laughs> like you could do smooth jazz over anything, and it makes it sexier. <laughs> so like, probably, <laughs> probably that's very true. Now I find that interesting too that Maddie watched this with basically like no. I mean, I'm sure she knew like a few things about it ahead of time, but like without really having seen it fully before, because I was watching this and thinking to myself, if you're like an adult watching this for the first time, it must be so jarring when you get like everything that's Michael Jordan in the beginning. And then all of a sudden it just goes into outer space to this animated amusement park. <laughs> it's like a huge sharp left turn. It's like, wait a minute, what's happening now? It's like Michael Jordan is a kid, Michael Jordan's career, Michael Jordan's retiring cut to outer space amusement park with a sleazy alien voiced by danny devito it's like wait <laughs> is this the same movie what's going on now i've never it's it's, it's like the least smooth transition from like you know one po plot point to another that i've ever seen in any film before i promise i'll never swear again i'll never get another technical i'll never trash talk i've got other skills i could go back and work on a farm really or maybe I could go back to the jungle and be a missionary again. What are you saying? That I'm trying to disobey my mama? I didn't say that. You did, Muggsy. But I love my mama. You still can't find anything wrong with us. Hey, maybe there's nothing wrong with us. That's right, Muggs. People's just in our head. We're fine. It's just some psychosomatic deal or something to do with the moon or the lime on the planet. I'll never go out with Madonna again. Maddie probably turned to you going, when's the jam going to start? <laughs> <laughs> she, she was humming the song. Uh, now, as long as we're on the subject, she was humming the, the jam song. The real winner of this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is the music. Yes. I think the music is great. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That has stood the test of yeah, time. I agree. The soundtrack is great. In fact, every single time I hear the song, I believe I can fly. I do think is Space Jam. It does like bring that back to me. Eat. And not the person singing it. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, it's... <laughs> mm. uh, uh, but there is... I believe I can fly. There's... Um, oh, what was some... Time the keeps ones? on slipping into the future. Yes. Uh, uh, um. You had Barry White. You had Barry... Like, I heard that song, like, a couple months ago. <laughs> Are you about to do Barry immediately... White in falsetto? <laughs> Yeah. It's like the opposite. The I was gonna do the chorus. <laughs> I got the basketball. No, I I heard that song. Oh, yeah. I don't like. I think it popped up on my YouTube algorithm, and uh, <laughs> and it's uh like I immediately thought of Space Jam. I like you gave Charles Barkley a great scene. Yeah. In this movie. And I, yeah, I like that he he was like getting beat by like a bunch of kids. You know, I thought that was actually really interesting to have Barry White come in. <laughs> Them just waving their hands, <laughs> trying to block the ball that isn't there. They were pretty and, good at it, being like you know idiots on the court once their talent was stolen, which is like kind of weird. But like you know, like I thought that was kind of fun for them, just kind of be like, whoa, whoa what's going on? Even the 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 score by James Newton Howard isn't all that bad. It is an Oscar nominated 
Yes. <laughs> it sounds like uh, um, it sounds like the '90s, and you and and you know when you see movies like like Hocus Pocus, which you've done, and Tommy Boy, there's a lot of strings like da na 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 na, and it's all over the place. And I love it because it reminds me of being a kid. But it's not the music, whether it's the soundtrack or just the score. Like both are pretty pretty solid. Like there's not a lot to say bad about. Yeah, them. no, I, I agree. Um, and. I d- I'm trying to think. There's like another like Seal sings one of the songs. He does like a cover of, um, I think I want to fly like an eagle. That's it. Uh, I think yeah. That was also yeah. like really really good. And so like it's catchy, and probably like the the most memorable thing about this movie. All those songs you hear and it brings you back to this. So that's definitely a strength. And I agree. I love '90s scores. There's something so they can be like really manic at times, which suits this movie. Hmm. Um, but I don't know, like, again, it's like the nostalgia factor. You hear those scores remind you of all those other movies of that era and, and just being a kid. And, uh, I like, well, I think of all the movies, all the movies in the night of like that came out through the nineties that like the make, uh, I was a nineties kid and all that. Like, I think space jam is at the top. I would say like, there's a reason why it's like, it's. kind of, it's standing the test of time, a movie like this. Like I think when like I was born in the '90s, I remember Space Jam. It like I there's so the score, the I mean the plot itself, the the jokes. I don't know. It's there's there's it's nostalgia plus is what maybe I could call it. The those. website is still up. You can go on the Space Jam. Yes, website. it's still up. I yeah. checked it out. <laughs> it's still up. It's like maybe like the early that like that was like when movies started to make their own like web pages, right? That was like the beginning of that, right around the mid '90s when it's like oh like coming soon space jam check out more at spacejam.com and i was like okay get yourself a screensaver yeah, <laughs> sure yeah. play some games play some like online games or something you know you know as much as i feel like a lot of critics were not crazy about this movie when it came out two critics that were were our favorites siskel and ebert but i feel like they were kind of biased because those those two were chicago-based critics and of course michael <laughs> jordan you know chicago bulls and I think they were like privy to like want to like this movie because you know here is like the the hero of their city that they're based out of. So I feel like they were like already kind of open to this idea of like a movie with their like um, yeah athletic hero of their city. Oh man, but Wayne Knight, Wayne Knight, like that's the the supporting as like uh, I put supporting in like quotations because it's really kind of the Michael Jordan show. Uh, my, Wayne Knight is excellent in this. Well, you know, he, he does his uh, Wayne yeah, thing, he, you know. And which is partly oh. partly the fault of the '90s too. Like that is still very much in vogue to be like, "Oh, you're the funny fat guy." And I don't mean to disparage Wayne Knight. I think he's a great actor, but you know, all of his scenes were like, "You're a clumsy oaf," and and yep. you, and that's that's pretty much what you a dork and a dork. Well, even I feel like I feel kind of bad for him uh, for the actor at towards the end when he gets flattened and they do that whole thing where they like which I thought looked kind of freaky, like, you know, it didn't age too well. Oh. When they, like, when he's flattened and then they have to, like, blow him up and then, like, he's deflating, I thought that looked kind of, like, freaky 20 years or 30 years later. But um, The human CGI is terrifying. The, the, yeah. the part that's, that's sort of soured the most is the human CGI. It is, yeah. oh, it is that rough. That was a little nightmarish. I remember, I remember thinking, uh, being freaked out by, uh, by when Michael Jordan's turned into a basketball. Yeah. I'm like, this, does, this sounds... Even the way he sounds, I'm like, this 
his voice it. gets the, the visual effects his voice gets really high at one point this. and he yeah they turn him into like a little square ball thing and like dribble him around and yeah that was kind of like jarring also i don't know if even like back then that would have looked good um but so i wrote in my notes at minute 37 jordan ball is terrifying that's a direct quote from my notes <laughs> i agree that was like the way he screams the whole, yeah that whole sequence was pretty unpleasant um so, but you know, um, I my my biggest grief with this movie is just I feel like the Looney Tunes. There's something like there's like a disconnect with me between like what makes the classic Looney Tunes great and how they're being utilized in this movie. I just feel like at times it seems like the people who are writing this movie just didn't really understand the essence of some of the characters, right? Like Porky Pig is like a just constantly like a big scaredy cat in in this in this movie like you know oh i wet myself and you know he's constantly fainting and he's a <laughs> big wimp laugh. and stuff but that's not really at all who the character is from like the, the the cartoon shorts uh like that's just like one example i just feel like even though they're referencing all like the classic stuff that the characters did in their shorts there just seems to me like they're not really getting like the essence of the characters like a lot of the Looney Tunes humor in the movie does still seem to me to be king towards little kids. But what made the Looney Tunes so great from like the classic shorts in the forties and fifties is that the humor was really universal. Like I still find them just as funny now as they did back when I was a kid, the physical cartoony humor. And here it's like, they're not really getting, they're missing that magic for me at, at times. So I don't know if you guys felt the same way. It doesn't really allow them to. I, I did actually. The the basketball players were great. Bill Murray, like I said, is 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 pretty fantastic because he kind of is aware of what what he's supposed to be doing. Yes. You know, he's 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 talking to green screens, but as a man who is aware that he's going to control the scene. Whereas I feel like Michael Jordan is sometimes reacting to things that aren't there, mm-hmm. not his fault entirely. But there, the Looney Tunes are never given the opportunity to go absolutely zany because they're held back by the human element. If it was a complete Looney Tunes movie, you could have chaos and it would be fine, but they, they meet in this middle area that sometimes works. I laughed a couple times at the Looney Tunes, but sometimes it just feels like they're being restrained by the, the by the content by, of the movie. But also by the plot, because they have to just, they have to like think of like, oh, let's challenge these little aliens to a basketball game. Like that's something the Looney Tunes would like go to, <laughs> like as if we've ever seen any Looney Tunes play basketball before themselves. Well, but uh, they're also, I feel like, held back by just this very convoluted story. To harken back to our very first episode that we did with Bobby Hook, <gasps> it's kind of like it's kind of like something where like Steven Spielberg came out and said like, eh, you know, I could have done better, uh, but in a Later, after a year, uh, after Space Jam came out, and in later years, they interviewed Chuck Jones, and like, what do you think, Chuck? And he's like, it's he was highly critical of the movie. He felt it strayed too far from the source mm-hmm. material. That Bugs would never recruit Michael Jordan to do his own yeah. battles. Bugs would do it. Like you're kind of echoing, like Chuck Jones's. It's kind of funny that like you feel this same way. My que- my point to all that, and it's neither like a it's more of an observation is that when it comes to animation or maybe any franchisable thing in general, but we'll keep it to animation right now. Doesn't that happen over time? Like, I, I mean, Bobby, you and I have talked hours. We quoted Simpsons for hours, but still do Simpsons different characters now than they were 
during the golden age? Like if someone were to make a uh, the Flintstone cartoon now, wouldn't they be different from the Flint from the Flintstones of the time? Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, and that's neither stagnant. a good or a bad thing. It just I think it is. Nothing stays stagnant. You're right, and, and there I th- I think more. I didn't read Chuck Jones's criticism, but I imagine it was more the ethos of the character is not that the lines changed, but more that they were they were not allowed to be absolutely loony, as the, as the uh, yeah. as as the name would suggest. Yeah, I agree. But granted, JJ, they should have been loony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my only thing. More. I do loony. agree with you that. But I I agree that definitely the cartoons should evolve over time. I mean, even when you look back at like the 30s, 40s, and 50s of the Looney Tunes, you can see Bugs evolving through those decades, and Daffy Duck, and like all those characters, they did evolve in like that golden era of animation. Uh, but I guess, um, you know, where they were taking it in the nineties with this film might not have just been a direction, right? They can evolve, but maybe you don't like where they're take being taken to. Right. So I agree. Like the idea of bugs recruiting, like outside help is something that, okay. Like maybe he might not have really have done because in all his classic shorts, like he could always just pull something out of nowhere and, like fix his problems right that was like something the looney tunes can do by their very nature is just conjure things out of nothing to like you know defeat the villains of their shorts um to put on my cynical glasses for a moment uh this 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 is uh this is a movie selling the sainthood of michael jordan like this is this is a that they made this movie because it was a successful commercial and they're like we could do like I don't want to say they threw it together. I actually put they think they put some thought into this, and I think Ivan Reitman put his mark. He actually he technically directed the movie. Like he kind of they kind of did a poltergeist situation. The guy who Joe Pika was the director of the commercials, but he's not that experienced. So Ivan Reitman kind of did the secret hmm. directing, yeah, yeah. and he his his name. I, I don't know his trademarks are kind of like throughout the movie. But it is, you know, they didn't know they couldn't Ted Lasso it. They didn't. We didn't know what, what kind of we could do back then. Well, I, I'll I'll say um, that definitely Michael Jordan is the spotlight of this movie, and the Looney Tunes are like his supporting cast, right? So yeah. basically, it's like that's another thing that's restraining the Looney Tunes is that they have to basically be catering to Michael Jordan, and it is his movie basically because a lot of the things are pointing to him. Like I thought it was kind of like interesting when you know, he decides to like put himself on the line there at the end and like you know if he loses he's going to be like at this amusement park like you know doing basically what he's doing on earth already which is he's going to be an indentured servant yeah which, there's by the way yeah. i feel a little uncomfortable when they were like yeah we're we going to own you and i was like oh like that's kind of weird <laughs> but i kind of uh, i don't know that that's neither here nor there um, I mean, maybe it is, but anyways, but I was, my point is like that kind of circles back to what he was experiencing in the first act. That was like a little bit of payoff. Like, you know, your living nightmare on our like amusement park planet is not actually that different than what you're experiencing. I didn't realize that until now. I didn't realize that his nightmare is just an exaggerated version of his post basketball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was like a little point. Oh, there. Wow. I'm like, okay, like there is some thought in this movie for sure uh but everything again has to revolve around michael jordan which is fine that's the conceit of the movie but uh you know if you're a looney tune fan you're not gonna yeah you go into it thinking that the looney tunes are the center of the stage you're 
not going to get what you want or expect. Well, uh, the the animation for the nightmare is actually the most interesting animation that happens in the movie. It, yeah. It's it's different, and it's why it actually is a little. It, it's effective because it's a little unnerving, and I was surprised at how how well that that scene still kind of looked after twenty five years. Yeah, that was like an interesting like uh, style to like you know uh, separate it from the animation that was still like happy and joyous throughout most of the movie. Um, and so, like, what do you guys think too? Like, we have we haven't spoken about Dane DeVito, who is like the voice of this like sleazy villain, uh, and like I don't know, Dane DeVito. I feel like has is, has like this like largely uh unrecognized like voice work talent like he's actually a really great like voice work actor i mean after this year he goes on to be in hercules and he was like i think the best part of hercules in my opinion but Mm. um even like in always sunny he'll like get these moments where he's like doing voice work for like some crazy video that the characters have recorded and he has just i think like this like knack for uh for voice work that really i think pays off as like the what could have what is for the most part like kind of like an annoying villain but it's elevated um by by danny devito's work yeah i, I didn't <laughs> know dan, I, I didn't know dan Aykroyd. i didn't know dan Aykroyd was in this picture that's my favorite that's one of my favorite he lines. has some great moments that's a that's a line for the adults yeah. uh but it, it kind of i don't want to say it could have been done by anyone just because of how the character looks um but it, you know, I didn't know who Danny DeVito was back oh, then. Oh, I didn't. But I, think, I didn't really. And know. that's part of the reason why I think his vocal work goes sometimes unrecognized because I feel like you know people don't really think about Space Jam and they don't think if they think about Space Jam they're not thinking about Danny DeVito who's voicing the villain because like again that could have been voiced by anybody. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like he does kind of these like uh, this voice work that's really um, you know a little seamless. Like you don't know it's him, and that's. That's the risk also, too, when you hire someone to do voice work who is so famous, because you might just think of that person and not the character they're voicing. But for Danny DeVito, that's never really a problem. No, he's great. He's had quite the career. Yeah. He, yeah, he, uh, like, I'm looking he, – uh, he kind of mastered the art of having a career that uh, – like, he, he's not Tom Hanks. He's not like – Tom Hanks kind of mastered the art of being in a – being successful every decade. Uh, but uh, Danny DeVito, I mean, look at his 90s. He went from, like – a villain then he directed matilda yeah. and then he did some voiceover work and like he wasn't in any tv show he he, he didn't throw mama from the train he kind of uh <laughs> but he uh i don't know i always respect his career and then he kind of like a new generation knows who he is because of always Sunny. he's also and this is welcome back to our danny devito <laughs> podcast I, I, he's divided devito last thing i'll say about uh divide devito is um that he also like a very successful career as a producer too he has like actually a lot yes. of um unsung like hero moments uh, as a producer too so just shout out to him whenever we get the chance i'll be like this is our Dane devito shout out here <laughs> that's important for us to know yeah i he's he's knows what movies and bill murray knows even like larry bird like like in their conversation is a great tete-a-tete like it's so See, the human element is so 
it, it is strangely as an adult more interesting than the cartoon element. Yes, I, totally I would agree. agree. I remember being a kid and being like so bored by like that golf scene. I'm like, just get to like the cartoon stuff already. But I it was like the opposite this time around because I actually was really enjoying that golf scene. Bill Murray wearing that ridiculous umbrella on his head and talking about how badly he wants to be in the NBA <laughs> despite no basketball experience. I thought that was all great. <laughs> Uh, I would like, you know, that's why I was thinking, like, just make a live action movie with these characters and forget the Looney Tunes. <laughs> After Wayne Knight takes the picture, he like he points, he moves the camera and like, get that camera away yeah, from like, me. What kind of film is that? <laughs> Bill Murray had a line in this that I caught. That he's like, I feel short when he was playing golf. And Bill Murray is like my height, six one, six two. And but granted, when you're standing next to Larry Bird and Michael yeah, Jordan, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going to feel short. He's wearing a shirt uh, actually, when he's when he's golfing. I think it's I think it's a shirt with either basketballs or golf like, paraphernalia on it, which is just another touch that I didn't get as a kid. But it's very funny. <laughs> actually, a lot of actors. I think I, I don't think Bill Murray was like the first choice, but because I read somewhere that uh, not a lot of stars wanted to be a part of this. Oh, movie. sure. I mean, when you, and, I mean, you could I could see when you, why when you hear that a project. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they had to have known, like, oh, this is a project that's inspired by, like, commercials from a few years ago. It doesn't sound like the most fulfilling work as an actor. And it might sound like something that could be a total bomb that might hurt your career, if anything. And so I, I think the line, like, Bill Murray, I have to ask, how did you how did you get here? You know, I'm a friend of the producer. <laughs> like, Gaffer yeah. drove me. See, I'm like, that's that, that is per Like, I refuse to believe adults were not entertained watching they had their That's moment, inside like, baseball. Yeah, they had their moments. I think that actually is a really good moment, like, like from a Looney Tunes perspective, because Looney Tunes are always breaking the fourth wall too, and they, they do that a few times in this movie. But that was like a great fourth wall break because it's like subtle too. In TV land. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I dug all that. Well, time to go. Did we get everything? The shorts. In it. Okay, I'll check. I found the shorts. One thing that I actually appreciated is it's not to the level of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the the crap work of, you know, if you've ever seen a behind the scenes of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the the ways they implemented a ca cartoon moving stuff Master around. Work. That was absolutely like painstaking work that went into like um, merging animation and live action. It's actually like probably like the most tedious work that is like amazing it, it, that you know th i'm always in awe of that movie i think it only happened in one scene but it didn't go like when bugs and daffy were getting michael's shorts yeah they they kind of implement i i actually appreciate it, it didn't go unnoticed well you me. know what i need to rewatch this one particular shot when bugs puts one of the shoes in the bags for a second it yes. looked like an, a physical hand with a glove that was like moving it it's like okay instead of like getting some magic to magically close this and animate the hand in it let's just like have a quick moment of a physical hand doing it that to the untrained eye might be an animated arm but actually i'm like that looks like a physical arm that was made to i saw that bunny and, and granted the dog was completely green screen you were like just matted yeah. in like, because he was big at times, he was like the same oh, height, like, and minute. I think yeah. it was a puppet holding it against the. The, the size kids. ratio also kind of bugged me too, because at times it seems like you know Bugs and Daffy, these other cartoon characters, are like 
you know, roughly like human size. They're not that much shorter than Michael at sometimes. But then in that scene where they go to his house, they are like smaller than the dog. <laughs> so like how big are these Looney Tunes in comparison to humans? It was like, you know, whatever suited the scene, I suppose. They, they There weren't any like set rules about that. It's like the cats problem, right, JJ? When when they made the movie of cats, they're different sizes in, in various things. <laughs> yeah, right. That was like more inconsistent and more jarring because uh, it was the whole movie in cats. <laughs> um, you guys notice too with Michael's dog, his name is Charles, and you know Charles Barkley, like a dog. You know, like did you guys notice that maybe that was like a dig at Charles Barkley, who's in the movie, by the way. I feel like that dig would work better if he wasn't in the movie. But Charles Barkley is in the movie, so I wonder how he felt that it was like, oh, you named your dog after me, and like, are you saying I look like a bulldog? I bet he would take it as a play. He would take it as a play. Oh, you're going. You got me. You got me, mm-hmm. Michael. I'm going to get you. <laughs> I, I stop him by the podcast just, yeah. to say hello. <laughs> I, no, I just really appreciate Barkley. <laughs> like I think I wouldn't be surprised if because the five basketball players, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, I think because they were having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if I actually laughed during the fortune teller scene just because she was saying, like, she, she's basically describing she was the plot, right. and they're like, no, we're, no, no, we're they, gone. They Sorry. do, that, they do <laughs> like, that twice in the movie where they re-explain the plot, once in the psychic scene, and the other when they bring Michael down uh, and, like, Bugs is, like, telling him what's going on, which I find also kind of weird in a movie. Like, you see what happens, and then now, twice, you have to have the whole plot explained. I mean, it's as if, you know, if, if you got people to follow along with this crazy story, then be, count yourself lucky, but you're pushing your luck if you're going to re-explain the plot twice. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that was added in, because, like, you know what? We're having fun. What more could we do with these guys? Like, they're, no. like the, the therapist scene was great. It's like, what? You don't want me to, you want me to disrespect my mama? I love my mama. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't say that, Muggsy. You did. There's a premature ejaculation joke that I missed. Oh, yeah. Like, do you have trouble performing? You know, there was, like, uh, but, you know, what I thought was interesting, too. Like, so these aliens are stealing the talents of NBA players, which, again, like, there's, like, no rules in this movie. Like, these are aliens they have for some reason the ability to turn into like goo and steal talent from people like whatever that means they had every power and patricia heaton and dan castellaneta are an item yes don't worry about it yeah like that little cameo there why not uh barkley's killing us (laughs) who's doing the killing so like there's no rules these aliens can do whatever you need them to do but i thought it was interesting like oh they're not going to steal the talent of probably the second most iconic NBA player at the time, which was Shaquille O'Neal, because he's busy doing another movie, <laughs> which is <just> Kazam, <laughs> which is probably as like as like crazy as this movie is. That movie is like a utter garbage. So I thought that was funny. Like they would have totally stolen his talent, but he's off doing another movie. They don't even reference him. It's not even like someone says Shaq. He's not. He's nowhere to be found. As if it's like as if this movie takes place in a universe that Shaq was never born. <laughs> but that's the only difference. Everything else is the same except there's no Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just no Shaq. I wonder if for the new one they'll get like some uh, some of the other NBA players too, just as like if they're gonna do similar things that the first one did. I think that might be. No- do you think Michael? Hmm? Do you see MJ making a cameo? I really don't, but I. You're, they're gonna have Wonder Woman and Joker cameo in this movie. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I if I if I'm too crazy about that because that's like too much. It's like I don't know. Isn't that also so much like Ready Player One that also had a bunch of 
it's it's Wreck It Ralph too. It's like it's they want to show off their synergy. <laughs> I guess I don't like, know. it seems like maybe then a big promotion for like the the company itself, like you know, and all their franchises, yeah. which. Rebel Wilson will play the Bill Murray role. Like they'll they'll just try to get like someone who's like who shows up and does funny things sometimes. Is he the modern Bill Murray? Rebel Wilson? <laughs> I'm trying to think of someone who just shows up and really doesn't act in movies so much as show up and say things that people sometimes find funny. And that's that was Bill Murray's. I mean, I like Murray too. I just... A Rebel Wilson type. <laughs> A re- what's your Rebel Wilson type? Bill Murray of our time. Um... Yeah, that's a good question. Who's like the I mean, I said that one in jest, but I'm trying to think now. Who's like the the show? I'm going to show up at the end and sort of just carry the comedic element home. If I had to the, choose someone that just for some reason just came right to my mind, if I had to choose someone to do that, it would be um, like one of the workaholics, like maybe like Adam, um, was Adam Devine, right? Or Adam oh, Devine, whatever, that... like how you pronounce it. Like he's if he he's someone who I can like see breaking the fourth wall and being this kind of like. Um, yeah, similar role as, as Bill Murray doing something like that. I don't know why he came to mind, but like I can see that working. That's not a bad choice. I, I'd be okay with that. Um, do you? Get... There's only one Bill Murray. <laughs> Let's bring back Bill, Bill Murray. I mean, he's still doing work. I... <laughs> Let's bring him back. Like every time I see, like he really is like one of those uh, actors that just like wanders. Like he doesn't have an agent. You have to call. Like he, he'll give you a number, mm-hmm. like a one nine hundred number. Like hey. <laughs> Like he'll pop up in student films if you're nice. To every him enough. every like, movie I, I really... he elevates every movie that he makes a cameo in. Like you know, um, Zombieland, right? Like if he just as long as he makes an appearance, it's like it, it bumps it, it bumps up the score because everyone just loves Bill Murray. Do you guys yeah. have like um, a favorite Looney Tunes from back in the day? Like one that you'd always get really excited to see, or just like a favorite character or moment? Uh. I have um, I, I actually did enjoy either Bugs Bunny against usually Bugs Bunny, but it was against Daffy. Sometimes Elmer Fudd. I did enjoy the gangsters. Actually, that was a favorite of mine. The ones you mentioned, JJ, mm-hmm. the ones who who are like the big I, lug, was it Bugsy and Lugsy? What was, Bugsy what and Bugsy. And, you know, Bugsy he hides and Bugsy, them in yeah. the stove. Oh, so they're hiding the, in the stove, eh? <laughs> those were always my favorite as a kid. And uh, yeah, that's probably one for me. Keith, I don't know. Did you have a favorite Looney Tunes when you were growing uh, well, Bugs is my favorite. Just like I love the humor, um, but I, my favorite cartoon is probably and JJ, you're much better with the names. Is when like Daffy is on like a like, the 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 creator is messing with that's my uh, favorite Daffy. Yeah, that's my favorite as well. And he's like, this is why we have this is why we're friends, folks. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, like you know, it ends with Bugs going like, "Ain't I a stinker?" I think that's kind of perfect. Like just a perfect from start to finish cartoon. I think it won an Oscar. Yeah, I agree. That is too. my favorite Looney Tunes as well. I mean, again, all the Bugs versus Daffy, you know, Duck Season, Rabbit Season stuff, um, and actually, all these ones were directed by my favorite Looney Tunes director, Chuck Jones, who we mentioned before. Um, I my mom was always amazed because I for some reason just like knew all the Looney Tunes directors: Chris Freeling, Robert McKimson. Like for just some reason, like I would pay attention to that. And Chuck Jones' cartoons were always my favorite ones. But that Duck Amuck one blew my mind because it was like the ultimate fourth wall break. And that was just <laughs> looking, if you think about it, it's brilliant because they, it's like an ode to Daffy Duck because they change everything about Daffy Duck throughout the cartoon, what he looks like, what he sounds like, where he is. But he's always just still Daffy. 
and that's like what's so great about the Looney Tunes is that they're we just recognize these characters like so immediately, even though they have evolved. We all know what makes Daffy Daffy or Bugs Bugs, and um, again, that's kind of what was hurting me in this movie was just like that that something that makes them so great. Like I was like not quite getting it. It was like close but not quite there. But um, you know those those classics. Um, I really went to like as soon as I got HBO Max a few months ago. That's like the first thing I did was just like raid that Looney Tunes library and revisit my favorites. I gotta look. Do at they that. have all of them? They have most, or like a good they amount. They have most of them. I believe they plan on like releasing the rest of them by the end of the year. I don't know why they don't do it now because they have the rights to all of them. But uh, yeah, they're gonna have them all by I think the end of this year. Like I love a good. I like another favorite is like Wiley e. Coyote, and not and he's great with Roadrunner, but like I love the, just like the simple joke of him clocking in to get sheep. It's like hey, oh Ralph. yeah, the, with and the like, sheep dog, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like their job. Yeah, I always thought that was They're just at work. great. And that was like also kind of more like adult humor, right? Like even though I I liked it as a kid, like that's something adults can relate to more is like the minutia of working every day, <laughs> and it's like their job that they get paid for. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I remember those. In fact, I was thinking to myself, too, we see uh, the Roadrunner, uh, like, throughout the movie, of course. But I'm thinking, like, why wasn't the Roadrunner, like, on the starting lineup of this, like, Toon Squad? Because <laughs> you know? they have no coaching staff, JJ. <laughs> the, the, the Toon Squad has no coaching I staff. Thought, they I, are. I'm like, okay, it makes sense for a Tasmanian Devil to be on this team. Because I, I also like the Tasmanian Devil, and he's, like, fast and strong. But, like, why isn't... <laughs> the Roadrunner is like faster than a bullet. He should be on this team, just like whizzing past the monsters. His 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 three pointers are a mess. Uh, there, that's that was. The he's also terrible at free throws, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine like a white chalkboard of just all the Looney Tunes on it. It's just like okay, <sighs> Marvin. We okay. We he'll be the Marvin. ref. Okay, he's the yeah. referee. Like. Like, like, he'll be the rest. Which I thought worked. Um, that was suitable for a character like that. I didn't see, like, and I'm not going, we don't need to go into it, but I didn't see Speedy Gonzalez. I, he probably was in the stands, but he, he was yeah, not. Yeah, right, because you would think, He was in the stands. I did see him in the stands. You would at think, one, too, one. a super fast character I mean, would be in it, but I think even by the mid-90s, he had already been 90s. considered, like, a controversial character. I think he was, like, one of the first, yeah, one of the first Looney Tunes to have his shorts pulled off the air because of... Um, but like I, I, I get like I, you know, Pepe Le Pew had his moment. Um, yeah, like they get they try to give like, everyone I, at least like one yeah. little joke, like oh yeah, Pepe Le Pew, you know, like those two mice that they're doing the announcement. They try to give everyone at least, you know, one moment, right? They even gave the witch even <laughs> was doing like something to the witch, the Foghorn Leghorn's cousin or so, like the the nerdy, oh uh, yeah, the one with the glasses. He's hanging out in the gym. I'm like, huh? Of all mm. the characters. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a chicken hawk. I you didn't see. I didn't. See I appreciate him. the effort to try to like, you know, give everyone at least a moment, or again, like draw them in the stands, because again, you are attracting like old school Looney Tunes fans, especially like the parents, and so they'll appreciate all those little cameos, um, especially like given the fact that you can only give so much screen time. I mean, this is a tight movie. This is like less than ninety minutes. You have to devote a lot of time to like establishing this very complicated story. Uh, so there's only so much you can do to give every Looney Tune character their moment, which they tried to do, and like they for the most part did it. Uh, but again, when it came to like the main characters, um, you know, I felt like it was like hit and miss. 
Well, that's all, folks. That's my line. Step aside, babe. Let a star do this. That's all! That's all, folks! Can I go home now? So, um, I think now we can get to our final thoughts on... Right, scene one. Okay, let's dive in. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast on Space Jam. Uh, five... We're now going to read the script to Space Jam. Our five-part series on Space Jam. Um, but uh, I think we can get to our final thoughts and assessment on Space Jam. So, uh, let's start with Bobby. What, what's your like final take on this, Bobby? And what would you, what percentage score would you give Space Jam? I was afraid I wouldn't like it as much, and and clearly it's you know not a stellar movie. But you mentioned JJ before it it every every moment it sort of just clears the bar. It's like someone hopping over like like the the, the gymnastics bar and just making it. I'm I'm gonna put this at sixty two, which is like I'm glad I saw it. It's probably something I'll watch once a decade just as a reminder to be a kid. But that's that's plenty for me. That's all I ask of it. So sixty two for me. Okay. How about you, Keith? Uh, you know, I've said before on earlier podcasts that I try to put out, like, try not to add nostalgia into it, but the nostalgia was strong with this one. And when I looked at the scores, I thought the scores would be, the gap would be wider. I thought critics would absolutely hate this and audiences would absolutely love it. But I think reading the audience's comments, I think they kind of echoed a lot of our sentiments of, you know, three and a half, three stars. Like, it's a funny movie, going over the hurdles it does it it i still don't i still believe adults can get a lot not out of they can get something out of this movie there's some good jokes for adults and of course it's for kids i think the audience got it right 63 i think they got it perfectly right i think that's an appropriate score um in fact the only reason i didn't give it a i didn't agree immediately with the audience is there were some moments like you said jj where i'm like they don't let the looney tunes go full out so i like like i didn't mean to deduct a single point i was just like that 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 (laughs) well that's why it's not like a 70 or 80 yeah for or like yeah yeah the, the looney tunes have like this weird shoddy history with film because like there was just a time where they were releasing compilations of looney tunes shorts as like theatrical films and I always thought that was odd. And then finally they give them like this like original movie that they're like not even like the main stars of. It's just, it's just kind of interesting. Like you could do maybe – I don't know. Maybe they can't sustain a whole movie by themselves. I'm not sure. It's never really been tried before. Like one like theatrically long plot, you know, a full-length plot uh, that is totally driven by the Looney Tunes. Just ask Tom and Jerry. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll say this too. Like – <laughs> I always, I would never like Tom oh, and Jerry, even when I was a kid. The Tom and Jerry shorts, I, I, I would always like. I usually like Looney Tunes would be preceded or followed by Tom and Jerry, right? I would never watch those cartoons. I don't know why, but I even didn't care for them. Even Sonic, I guess, needs a human partner. Ugh. I guess. <laughs> no, I'm not talking. I've never seen the movie. I've never seen the movie, but it looks like you're always going to be paired off with uh, a human. I guess the idea is you need to ground it in some degree to make like have some like relatable like stand in like human person there right some vessel to like have something to hold on to but um i don't that's the idea but i don't think that really is necessary i think also the problem with this movie is that it's like so blatantly commercial 
right? Like yes. there's the one oh, line yeah. that Wayne Knight has about like, you know, put on your Nikes, let's get a Big Mac, blah, blah, blah. Like he throws in a few other brands there. And uh, not denying it, that. It did a lot of times feel like a really long commercial, uh, especially since it was like based on one. It's, it's a kind of apparent that it was. Um, I don't know. I, it, I didn't dislike it as much as I thought it would. Right, I thought I'd go into it and be like, "Oh, this doesn't hold up at all." I did like some parts of it, but um, I don't know. I feel like this is there's a lot of my favorite childhood movies that I do want to show my kids, and I don't think this is one of them. Oh boy! Uh, I don't, I just don't know. I just feel like there's just a lot of other, there's so much there's just a lot better content in terms of like children and family entertainment, and also I just feel like. Um, it doesn't do the Looney Tunes as much justice as I thought it should. So I would give this like a 53. All right. I, I understand. 90s, 90s kids, get them. Oh. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Swarm, swarm. <laughs> um, yeah, watch out. I, I, I mean, the nostalgia factor definitely is a lot for a lot of people. Uh, but. I, I don't know. Sometimes I watch this thinking to myself, like, oh, man, like, how did my parents watch this with me so many times as a kid? They must have driven them crazy. I don't know. They liked some parts of it. You know, there were some parts for them, but just I don't think enough. Uh, so what's our final score, Keith? I agree with the score. I'm okay with it. But I, I – and I'm going to trust your opinion to make the final call because it, close? I do, it comes out – ooh, it's 59 – Point three. Fifty nine point three. It's so Oof. what I where do you think that falls in in line in like it <laughs> See, so this is oh this happens once in a while on this podcast where our score is like numerically closer to one side, but when it comes down to that sixty percent threshold, it technically is on the other side, right? It's technically a rotten, which is what the critics are, but numerically it's closer to what the audiences have. So I usually like to go by like the numeric. I don't know. We're just like, cause then I feel like that 60% threshold of fresh Iran is like more arbitrary. Like on, on opinions, opinions to me should be more like a a spectrum. Right. And on the spectrum, our needle is closer to the audiences. So therefore I will say we side with the audience on space. It's official. Much like Michael Jordan's final basket. We're just stretching just a little bit farther to get to the, to get to the basket. Yeah. That was a little uh, like, I do uncanny Valley to me that, that yeah. I was like, Oh, that really long arm. Ugh. I do think, I do think this movie is like a 59. I, like I, I, I think people, the audience would agree with this score. Yeah. Unless you absolutely love this movie, uh, this, uh, but I do. We think. had like one other movie that had like a very similar score that was like fifty nine percent. It's like of all the movies that we give a rotten score to, this has the highest <laughs> of that category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's as close as it can get while still being in that category. You know, if we just talk for another twenty minutes, we'll we'll have talked longer than the movie is. So I, I say we keep it going. Uh, you know, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> that's always a sign that it's time to wrap it up. Um, but uh, thanks again, Bobby, for joining yeah, us. Yeah, Bobby, thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on the pod. Oh, please, it's my pleasure. I had so much fun on this, and I can't wait till I hear the the next episode that you guys have coming out. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Thanks for yeah your uh, unwavering support. 
uh, and involvement on the podcast. And uh, looking forward to seeing you all guys in person, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So thanks everyone out there for uh, listening and join us another time for another Divided Film. All right, thanks a lot. Bye.